Relief River is a little bit more like a dating site. Our thing is, is that we introduce people to each other. We are trying to help people build relationships. We aren't trying to get in the middle, the business to business relationship between the buyer of services and the provider of services. We just want them to meet and build relationships. And then part those parties own that relationship to do whatever they want. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Pet Desk is excited to announce its integration with EasyVet. If you're tired of spending hours on the phone booking appointments, processing payments, and sending reminders to your patients, then it's time to switch to Pet Desk. PetDesk is the all-in-one patient journey solution that simplifies the flow of your veterinary practice. PetDesk's suite of solutions includes online booking, VoIP services, a mobile app, workflow management tools, payment processing, and much more. And right now, PetDesk is offering an exclusive deal for EasyVet clinics. If you purchase PetDesk by July 31st, you'll receive a $100 Visa gift card. Hurry, hurry, don't miss out on this amazing offer. Head to www.petdesk.com forward slash easy vet now. Welcome back, positive leadership listeners. Today we have an amazing guest and friend of mine, Dr. Cindy Trace. Cindy Trace is the founder of Relief Rover, chief veterinary officer of Hound, co-founder and chief innovation officer of Kick It Pajamas, and Relief Veterinarian. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cindy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yes, I heard you at, well, you're a Vet Partners member. And last year, as I was telling David this, last year when you spoke at the Vet Partners Conference, I absolutely loved what you had to say about Relief Veterinarians. And I felt like it was something that we should share with our listeners. So I'm excited to shoot the shit with you today and get into this. It's going to be fun. going to be fun. Great. Let's do it. We don't read stuffy bios at all. So okay. not that your bio is stuffy by any means. However, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey of how you got to be where you are today. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So the non-stuffy version is that yes. I'm a commitment phobe and also a professional sampler. And that is how I came to be a relief vet. So I am a 2004 UC Davis graduate, and I have spent almost my entire career as a relief vet. I've worked, I've been an intern. I've worked in general practice as an associate twice at the same practice, just years apart. 
And then I've done, otherwise I've done relief in multiple states, ER, GP, shelter, mobile, tiny bit of telehealth. So just, again, I love to sample. So that's bit of everything. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Kind of in nice. my jam. Nice. That's you, cool. Yeah. You went to sample and I was thinking like, I could just see like a sampler of like beer flights. Like I'm going to have a little bit yeah. of this one, a little bit of this one, a little bit of this one. Exactly. And what I call it is like diversifying my career portfolio. Because I love to get a little bit of like, it's given me a broader understanding of vet med, honestly, oh, I and bet. like yeah. what all is out there and, you know, which has been an amazing journey. Yeah, I can imagine. Talk to me about your favorite book or podcast or CE or class or something that has a lasting impression on you. Oh, gosh. Well, because this is very recent, the most recent thing that had an impression on me and is going to continue having an impression on me is I just did this program with Stanford Business School called LEAD. It's not a degree. It's a like a certificate program, mm-hmm. but it's for entrepreneurs and leaders. And Dr. Ivan Zach, I don't know if yes, your yeah. listeners know him. Well, shout out there. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. Ivan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the one that talked me into doing this because he had done it. And I'm sure glad he did because it was an amazing experience. It was a year long. And I really, it was more work than he told me it was. And I don't know if that's because he didn't have <laughs> that to was work intentional. as hard. <laughs> he was lying or I'm not sure what, but it was, it was a fair amount of work, but I would just get up early. I would do my schoolwork. And I got to meet, it was an international cohort. I was the only veterinarian, by the way. The cohort was international and it was, you know, business people, professional people, executives, entrepreneurs. And it was so fascinating to meet all of these people who were just trying to level up with leadership and entrepreneurship. And I learned a ton. Very cool. Yeah. I have to say, I never stopped you and prep for this Mm -hmm. interview. And I saw that on there and I did a little research on there. I was like super bummed that it didn't come with something like your master's, you know, like it didn't have yeah. a, a longer program with that. I did see that it was a certificate, but now you and Dr. Ivan, you both have me peaked now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after the podcast or some other time, if you guys are truly interested, I would be yeah. happy to talk yeah. to you oh, about for it. Sure. At the, at awesome. the uh, mid-year meeting. Yeah. Let's yeah, chat about that's that. That's great. Cindy, what the heck is Kick It Pajamas? Tell us about this. What's the story behind this? What is this? I have to Google this now. Just can't wait to hear about this. So basically, it's sort of unconnected to veterinary life, but in some ways it was connected because what happened was I graduated from vet school in 2004. I started an internship at Florida Veterinary Specialist, which was the precursor to Blue Pearl. That was the first Blue Pearl. And two, three months into my internship, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I dropped out. I was hospitalized a lot because I did my chemotherapy in the hospital. I might be like on for seven days, then off and back in. And so I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And my friend gave me this super cute pair of pajamas. And I wore them while I was in the hospital. And it changed everything for me about how I felt. And at the time, I was dating this guy who is now my husband. And, you know, I mean, this is just a crazy time in life. I just graduated. I'm a brand new veterinarian. Now, all of a sudden, I'm dealing with this. I've got this cute, awesome boyfriend who's coming to visit me. You don't feel great when you're, you're losing weight, you're losing your hair, you're throwing up. And at least having those pajamas on made me feel dressed. But the problem was, is they didn't have the functionality that you know nurses needed to care for me. And so I was like, well, why don't they just make cute pajamas with snaps on the sleeve? 
duh, seems easy peasy. And so that I that's how it planted the idea in my head. And I just kind of like left it there for a while. And a couple years later, after I recovered, I was getting better. Now, now I'm on track with being a veterinarian and I'm getting into my career. The idea was always just there. And so I went and to a fashion school in Tampa. I just reached out to them to find people who could help me with a prototype. So I came up with a prototype. I came up with a little branding. I always wanted to name it Kick It Pajamas because I wanted to create a company, a company that gives back. So we do donate a portion of proceeds to cancer patient support and research organizations. And our goal is to help kick cancer off the planet. Nice. So, I love that. So anyway, I like did as much as I could. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being a vet. I'm a relief vet at this point. And I'm trying to get this other company spun up. And I just got as far as I could get. And then I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I know nothing. Like, I didn't understand manufacturing. I didn't understand all these things. So I ended up throwing it into the closet. Fast forward over a decade later, a good friend of mine who always loved the idea and is a business person, she just serendipitously met these women who own a clothing company. And she calls me up and she's like, hey, can we bring Kick It Out of the Closet and let's, you know, get this thing started? And um, she's like, I found the perfect people to partner with. So long story short, we end up partnering where we are now four co-founders. We launched in December of 2020. And we have pajamas and um, other clothing and accessories that are specifically designed for women battling cancer or for women who are undergoing any other kind of illness or recovery. I love it. What a great story. Let's talk about relief work. So here's the other aspect of who you are, right? You're a veterinarian and you picked relief work. Like, yeah, sample, but, but tell me about relief work. Why relief? And especially straight out of your internship, why not a regular job? Yeah. So actually the internship, since the first internship was interrupted, I then ended up going and working as an associate for a year and a half once I had recovered enough to kind of get back to work. Then it always bugged me that it, that I didn't finish that internship. So I went back and started over and I did the internship. Then at that point I, ha- I had a decision to make. I could have gone back to my other job or I could l- look around. And honestly, I went into relief work more out of just curiosity to see like what other clinics were doing out there. The clinic that I worked for as an associate was actually my family vet growing up. And it was and is a great clinic. I still do a lot of relief there. But I just knew that I didn't want to get stuck in one way. And I wanted to know what other ways were. And so I started doing relief Maybe, you know, maybe with the thought of landing somewhere, like if I found something that really just fit. But honestly, I didn't think about it that hard. I was like, this is just an exploration phase. Then something else happened that made me realize I had this evolution where I realized, oh, wait a second, this can be a career. And I really started to feel like I loved being a business to business service provider. I loved serving the clinics and coming in and helping the clinic the teams and those customers have a great experience. So my husband ended up getting a job at a photography school in Missoula, Montana. So we live in Florida, but we would live six months out of the year in Missoula. And relief work was perfect for that lifestyle. And that was when I really started to feel like this is a career choice. And so, yeah, so it allowed us to have this very flexible lifestyle it allowed me to get experience in all these different 
facets of medicine. It was a very different experience working in Missoula than it is working in Florida. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had that experience. We didn't have specialists. We -hmm. had one internal medicine specialist. And the mindset of the pet parents was very different than the mindset of the pet parents in Florida. Yeah. So I learned a ton by doing that. That makes a lot of sense. And like, absolutely fascinating. But a lot of us have used relief veterinarians, probably mostly for many, many years. But the landscape has really changed. I remember when I started actually just as a column baby text, I don't mean it in an offensive way, but just as like a tech on the floor, working in different environments that when I inevitably, I mean, there were times when I needed to just be on shift. And, you know, I worked in an ER and the, the night doctor would call out or, you know, something would happen and we would have a list. It would be a crumpled piece of paper in a plastic sheet, and it would be about nine different names. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and there'd be numbers, and you would call them, right? And they had either worked at that hospital before, or they had known the vet, or they pulled shifts, or they were maybe career veterinarian, career relief veterinarians. And I would just call or text and say, hey, we have a shift tonight. Could you come in or whatever? And that would certainly then happen as I moved into management also. But that's really changed with kind of the move towards almost like these relief networks, these marketplaces. So Relief Rover, Rue, some of these other folks. So how would you say, Cindy, in 2023, how do we go about finding and using relief veterinarians to to kind of help buttress our doctor staffing? Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, this, I call it the rush to relief. There's been this rush to relief. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it's, I think it's multifactorial and I think that not everyone is coming to relief for the same reason. And it can be very helpful to understand who the relief vets are, why they're doing relief and utilize because relief vets can provide so much more to your clinic possibly than David, what you're talking about, right? Like suddenly you need someone to come in and fill a shift. That is a really important job and a really important role. But when we start to think about the different reasons people are being relief vets, we'll start to uncover what the other ways you can use them are. So your question is really about like, how do we find them? How do we interact with them? I still go to practices here in Florida. There is my magnet that I made with my name, phone number, and of course, a picture of my dog that is still on people's refrigerators because there's that, that is piece perfect. Of paper, what and a then great piece of you know, marketing! All the magnets, right, on the vaccine refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Nice, love it. So that is still a way to to recall a relief vet that you has been to your clinic before. But so you're right. There are staffing agencies popping up. There are marketplaces popping up. There's social media is another way to find relief vets, and then you know just your basic job platform and. I think there's sort of a difference there. There are staffing agencies where they hire the relief vets and the relief vets are employees of the staffing agency. And then you call them up as a practice and you say, hey, I need a vet for these dates. And they find you someone in their network and send them out. So that's sort of one, one way to do it. The advantages of that are that veterinarians have you know, been through some kind of screening vetting process. They may get some extra continuing education on how to be a good relief vet. You do pay a premium for that service. There's a markup. And also the thing to know about staffing agencies that work with that model is that if you and that relief veterinarian, you being the practice and that relief veterinarian decide that this is a good fit and you may want to enter into an employee relationship, 
there often is a buyout fee. So you need to actually buy that veterinarian from that staffing agency, which may be well worth it. You know, if that is a great fit and that's really going to work, that may be well worth it. Some of the marketplaces where like, like Relief River is a little bit more like a dating site. So our thing is, is that we introduce people to each other. We are trying to help people build relationships. We aren't trying to get in the middle the business-to-business relationship between the buyer of services and the provider of services. We just want them to meet and build relationships. And then part those parties own that relationship to do whatever they want. So again, very similar to a dating site. Like the dating site doesn't control when you go on a date and who you go on a date with. You just build relationships. And they certainly don't control if you do or don't get married and they don't charge you if you do get married, right? So it's just a little, yeah, a little bit more like Mm -hmm. the way we work is more like a dating site. We're really, we always just say we're a relationship company. And I do believe that building relationships early and often with relief vets is really the name of the game. Because as you pointed out, David, sometimes you do find yourself in a pinch where you're like, all of a sudden somebody called out. And if you have Mm -hmm. a pool of people that you have built a relationship with, and you do know that you like them, they fit in with your clinic, they're far more likely to say yes, if you guys have built a relationship. So I always recommend, don't just wait. A vet is not a vet is not a vet, right? You don't just pull them off the the vet shelf and then plug them into a shift. I mean, you can do that, but isn't it better for everyone if you guys get to know each other, you build a relationship, and then you do have that pool of people that you can rely on. So Dr. Cindy, you said kind of a buzzword there. You mentioned that this can be like dating. (laughs) So let's talk about how we as veterinary practice managers can court a relief vet. I think this is one of the interesting things that I've seen. And when I actually wrote an article for Today's Veterinary Business, where I broke down the different reasons that people are coming into relief, the different categories. So when I started Relief Forever, I really started it for people like me, for people who wanted to be career relief vets, business to business service providers. They weren't interested in, in an associate position. But what I learned from doing this and meeting these thousands of veterinarians who are on our platform is that everyone has all different reasons for wanting to be a relief vet. Sometimes you just need to be a relief vet for a certain period of your life. Like maybe it's childcare or like me, now I'm in elder care period of my life. You might need flexibility for some period of time, but not forever. And so you may be catching a relief vet on the tail end of that when they're kind of like, you know what? I had that relief vet period of time that accommodated those other responsibilities in my life but now I'm ready to get back into a full or part-time position. You also have relief vets who are what I call try before you buy. They're literally, they're not going to tell you that they're shopping for a place to land because they don't want you to know <laughs> because they want to see what the practice is like on their regular behavior. Because if we make the analogy of dating, I've done this before at talks where I ask people to raise their hand, like how many of you are married? How many of you got married? after one date, or maybe two, nobody raises their hand. Because who does that? 
I mean, maybe if Vegas and alcohol and Elvis are involved, that happens. <laughs> they weren't still married, though. Right. <laughs> right. But mostly that doesn't happen. And that's because marriage is an important relationship in your life and you want it to last. And so you take time to get to know the person. And all of us have quirks and faults and nobody's perfect, right? But you decide as you go through that dating process, you decide whose quirks and faults you can live with and and they decide if they can live with yours. And the same is true with a relationship with your practice that you're going to be employed at. That's an important relationship. Maybe not quite at the level of marriage, but still it is it's a relationship where you are going to spend a ton of your time, you know, and you may be signing contracts that can affect your, you know, work life. So there are things like that where it's a, it's a very important decision that you're making. And on the hospital side, it's also a very important decision that they're making Mm -hmm. because turnover is expensive, not just financially, but culturally as well. Because nobody likes, like, it's very distressing to team members to have people coming in and out. And, you know, or when you make that decision where the person didn't quite fit, and that can really upset, upset the apple cart. And so to me, this whole idea of dating before you marry and that analogy to relief practice just makes all the sense in the world for both parties. And I almost feel like, why wouldn't anyone do that before they took a job? Mm. Why not say, hey, let's do an independent contractor relationship for the next two months or three months or however long you think it would take or a month, like however long you think it would take to get to know each other and really get to know each other. And then, and then decide if that, that relationship is, should be a longer term. Yeah. Yeah. So Cindy, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've noticed in my tenure and I'm sure Andrew, you have too, that a lot of, we've had a lot of associates come to us and quote unquote, resign from full-time jobs. And either they tell us they're going relief or they went relief. This is very common in emergency medicine. And it went, bonkers during COVID, which we know the reasons why. And certainly, you know, I felt for ER doctors who were just working like crazy, but it does seem that there is this really interesting move towards hustle, 1099 independent contractor, veterinarians kind of opening up their own businesses. Can you talk to us a little bit about that demographic shift from, and if it's generational, having vets moving from the kind of W2 normal kind of find their job, work 40, 40, 50 hours a week, to this more relief gig economy, which we've seen with for years with like Uber and stuff. And then are we in danger of losing our associates to this? And frankly, that's a tough thing to manage without a couple of FTEs, right? So how could we also maybe, frankly, you know, from your side of it, actually keep our vets and do better with retention? Yeah, I think we have a ton to learn from this rush to relief. And I think we need to pay attention to the whys, because I think that that is going to help us rethink our workplaces, rethink our scheduling, and maybe our workflows. So the big reasons are flexibility. You know, I would say that's the number one reason. And like we talked about, you may need that flexibility for only a certain period of your life. So people may flow in and out of wanting to be a relief professional. But what if practices could figure out a flexible work schedule? What if they could figure out a way, I don't know, I would hope there are practices and that we can still see practices where that veterinarian has been there for seven years, 10 years, 15 years, right? But whose life 
whose life works 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, five days a week, or four days a week even for 15, 20 years of your life? Who doesn't have some interruption to their life where they need flexibility? So maybe we can rethink this model of, you know, you're a full-time employee or you're a part-time employee. Maybe there's some more fluidity to that. So flexibility is a big one. Culture <laughs> is another big one, right? Uh, 100%. Yeah. So relief vets are often, these days, and maybe before, escaping a bad culture. They're not coming to relief because they've thought, oh gosh, you know what? I would love to help my colleagues take some time off. I would love to go learn about other practices and how they work. They're not coming at it with that sort of very positive mindset. They're coming at it like, oh my God, I got to get the hell out of here, but I still need to make money. Yeah. Right? Dumpster fire run. Yeah, exactly. And so we need to be thinking about that. Think about your practice from the point of view of an outsider, someone coming in. Does it feel like a good culture? Is there, you know, what does that even mean? A good culture, right? Like that's just the term is thrown around. Do they feel safe in your workplace? Or do they feel like there's a lot of like gossip and backstabbing going on? Do they feel supported if a mistake is made? Do they feel like they can go to leadership with their concerns or their problems? Yeah. You know, so this idea of psychological safety does Huge. The, yeah. Does the practice have a mission statement and values? Have they even ever thought about that other than we pro provide great care to the pets, right? Is there more to it than that? Do they talk about that? Do they share that? And then do they walk the talk? Because <clears throat> that's really important. Anyone can tell the difference between a company who is living up to their values or making a concerted effort to live up to their values versus one who just put it you know, yeah. in the break room, but yeah, right. It's posted on the wall, but nobody even knows what it is. Yeah. No one pays attention to it. So, you know, they need to feel supported. Is there opportunity for growth? Are they encouraged to grow? I have been to a practice where I heard the owner come in and have a tantrum and point to everyone and be like, you're all replaceable. And I can't, I, I was like, oh, Ooh. these Ooh. people are scared. Yeah, like I could wow. tell they were scared. And I thought to myself, well, so are you. But I didn't say that loud. <laughs> yeah, good point. That would have been rude. <laughs> but it's those kind of things. So thinking about what, what your culture is like working on your culture. Because the escapees, some of them don't even believe there's a good culture out there. But when you're a relief vet, the bad cultures don't bother you as much. Because you're not in it. You're not like deep in mm -hmm. it. And you can just yeah. kind of skate through and Good all point. the office politics that go on, you can right. really just let roll off your back because it just doesn't affect you. Mm. But sometimes, and I have seen this happen over and over, is that a relief at either on purpose because they mm -hmm. fall into that try before you buy category or on accident, they stumble across a practice and they're like, whoa, wait a second. This is amazing. I didn't even know this existed. Right. This team is so tight. They are very supportive. They really work together. They seem to be all working towards a common goal. I want to stay. Mm -hmm. That happens too. Yeah. So I think be more direct about your question. Like how can we retain associates in this mm -hmm. everybody wants to be a relief vet era is you really need to show up. And if you don't have a great culture, you're not 
sure, ask, Uh (laughs) ask your team Uh members, start to do a little research, figure it out and start to work on it. You know, start to be someone that you would want to date and that Uh you would then want to marry. Um, You need, you might need to think about working on yourself because I will tell you, not everyone, everyone who's going into relief doesn't love to be a relief vet. And one of the things we do at Relief Forever is we educate, you know, we educate them on what does this mean to be a relief vet? What are the skills and personality types that will really thrive as a relief vet? And if you're very particular about how you like things done, you might not like relief because you've got to be flexible and, fl- and go with the flow. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, ha- with being particular and liking things a certain way. It's just that you might not like relief. So some of these that are coming to relief, they will get tired of it because it doesn't actually fit fit either. And they will, they'll land. Those are the ones that will land. So I guess my point is, is that I would view all relief vets as a potential hire, as someone that you could potentially convert to full or part-time. And I would take away the expectation. You need to, like, you, you need to look at the relief vet through a different lens. It's not the same as I'm going to quickly convince you about how great we are and why this will be such a good job and then give you an offer. It needs to be this slow process of I'm going to slowly, it's like we're friends first, right? Like it's the, yeah. I always go back mm. to the dating thing, but it's, it's not like speed we're, dating. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We're friends first and then we get to know each other and then, oh, you know, you held my hand at the movies. Oh, wait, are we not friends anymore? Oh, you know, like, and then I don't know. And then you go in for the kiss. But you wait a while before you do that. So I think just looking at relief, all relief vets potentially and treating them, treating relief vets as you mm-hmm. would someone who you wanted to hire mm-hmm. is another way to think about it. Let's talk about some of the things that practice managers, which is who our audience and, and practice owners, how do we screw things up with relief vets. Tell us like one or two or even th- three things that like, if you were to tell us, don't, just don't, just don't, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> don't do this again. <laughs> I would say something I see relatively frequently. Well, I'll hear the complaint that, well, my, my clients don't come in when the relief vet is there. And so I hate using relief vets because our appointments are slow on relief days. I felt like that kind of changed during COVID because people are just like, and maybe even any doctor still. will do. Yeah. And yeah. Right. I just want to get in. But there was a time when that was really a problem. And one of the things just don't is have your CSRs answer the phone and say, no, Dr. Trice isn't here today, but the relief vet is. No, that is not what you say. <laughs> <laughs> you say, you know, no, Dr. Trice isn't here today. Yeah. Wow. But, <laughs> but her trusted colleague, Dr. Liss, is here, and you're going to love him. He is amazing. Like, that right, is how you way. say it. Yeah. That's how you say it. And I hear that all the time. And so, so the practice does have some control over right. whether that relief has, has appointments to see. The other thing is, there are a lot of people using regular relief, mm-hmm. right? Guess what? Regular relief is a part time employee. And if you have a relief vet working for you, Monday, Wednesday, Mondays and Wednesdays, just from here until whenever, you've got some arrangement with a relief vet where they're working Mondays and Wednesdays, there's no contract signed or anything. It's just sort of an agreement you all came to and you're paying them as a 1099. Just be careful because 
if you get audited, mm-hmm. the IRS is going to consider yep. that person. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Especially in California. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's not that you can't have someone who works a regular schedule as a relief vet, but you know, they're, and I am not, I have to, I am not a tax specialist or IRS specialist or anything like mm-hmm. that. But if you have a contract with that relief professional and you're like, okay, I'm going to work these dates during these months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an independent contractor relationship. I also work, this person either does or has the ability to work at any other practice. Then you're kind of setting up a story. If you were to get audited, you're mm-hmm. just kind of building a, a case mm-hmm. that this person mm-hmm. is in fact an independent contractor. Then if you want to renew that contract, then you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that often mm-hmm. with maternity sense. leave, right? Yeah. A lot of maternity leave in our 80% female profession. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> so I see that a lot. Will they make sure that they put that with the relief that, yes, you are mm-hmm. full time for right now, right? Or you're mm-hmm. filling however many shifts that need to be filled for a X amount of period of time. But upon the return from doc that's on that leave, mm-hmm. then it will conclude our, yeah. our your time with us. And it's at or around mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. February mm-hmm. of next year or something right. like that, right? Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. And there's one other thing I do want to point out. It is really surprising to me how many times a practice will hire a relief vet without interviewing them. And I think some of this mentality might come from the staffing agency model, right? Because it's like, I need a person with a vet degree to come in and work. But Mm -hmm. I really like, these are relationships. These are your clients, (laughs) <laughs> you need like your pet parents, like it's important for right. them to be taken care of. You might want to interview that relief vet. Mm-hmm. I've been doing relief since 2007. And I can tell you, I can count on one hand, the number of times I have been asked mm-hmm. to come in and be interviewed. Yeah. And I yeah. have worked it. I have lost count of how many practices. That's crazy, right. huh? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. It actually segues really nicely into the next question that I had on the top of my head, which is, you know, what are a couple of best practices, Cindy, for veterinarians? So let me let me frame the question up for a minute. I mean, essentially, I think there has been a time or there was a time where, and I've heard this, and I've worked in hospitals that have kind of had this culture where the relief vets are not important. They're expected to not have ever have an opinion of their own. They're expected to do things the, the minute they walk in exactly how the hospital is supposed to do it. Not to say that they're they're stepping on that kind of 1099 piece, but, you know, culturally, it's like, oh, they're just a relief vet, you know, it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. I would say that there's been a transition for sure with more relief vets and certainly more organizations like your own, where I've actually had to be on calls where and it was Rue, not Relief Rover, but they had to say, hey, we have some feedback from a relief vet about this hospital. We need to have an above the line conversation. So what are, you know, interviewing is a great point. What are a couple other like one or two best practices that hospitals should do? when they engage with a relief doctor that might actually be fairly common sense to you, but might actually be great learnings for our listeners to say, hey, that's a great idea. Like, I really should think of it this way, uh, because you obviously, you know, work with a network with, you know, large swaths of relief veterinarians. I would say have the business part buttoned up. So if you're working through a staffing agency, they may have some of that buttoned up for you. But if you're working with an individual relief vet and their business, they didn't offer you a contract to ask for one or make up one, you know, have one yourself to present to them. Have some kind of, you know, file for them, some kind of digital file. Have a copy of their veterinary license. Make sure that it is current. 
you know, it just takes a few minutes to check that and make sure their veterinary license is current, make sure they have professional liability insurance, you know, and you can ask for a copy of proof of that. Don't ask for their DEA, but you can, or for a copy of their DEA, but you can ask them if they have one. And here's why, unless you can keep that DEA, that copy of the DEA license locked up and out of the way of anybody's eyes, no relief vet is going to want to leave a copy of their DEA at your practice for understandable reasons, because we don't know who can get their hands on it. Sure, sure. Yeah. And that is something we have to be very careful about. But you can certainly ask them if they have it. So that's kind of like the business part. Obviously, find out before you just let them in, come to some kind of agreement on like what services do they offer? It surprises me how many times, you know, I have heard over the years, someone say, well, this relief act came in, but then they wouldn't do this, that, or that other thing. Well, you guys should have figured that out ahead of time. Yeah. So find out what services do they offer? Does it match up with what you need? What's their rate? Don't be surprised by their rate. Do they charge overtime? What is their cancellation policy? So those kind of business things. The other thing I would, would say is, is do the best you can to onboard them. Um, I know what you're saying, David, about like they kind of expected to come in, get up and running on the clinic right away, do the things the way the clinic does. And I do think that there's a balance there because as a business to business service provider, I really believe that it is my job to be flexible and chameleon like when going into your different practices and as much as possible to adapt to your workflow and to adapt to your protocols, provided I'm not working outside of my own ethics and keeping in mind that that the care of that patient, that is the responsibility of that doctor and they have to do what they're comfortable with because at the end of the day, it is their license. So, you know, if a clinic has some kind of protocol, like, I mean, these are crazy examples, but I've been to a clinic where they would give Depo, Dex and Pen and then send the animal home with Rimadil. And I remember getting into a back and forth with this practitioner, this owner and saying, I can't do that. You know, and they said to me, well, I've been doing this all these years. And I said, well, that's fine. And I believe you. But if something does happen, it's indefensible for me. And so the relief vet has to have this, this balance between a respect for the clinic's protocols and supporting the clinic while also working within the boundaries of their, you know, their skills and their professionalism and, and their own ethics. Cindy, I'd like to ask you a question about a piece of advice. If you could give yourself, your younger self, a piece of advice, should your younger self listen to that? What would it be (laughs) and why? I would probably tell my younger self, my much younger self, go with the flow because you just... And don't sweat the small things. The things that are upsetting you and seem like such big problems are just going to be water under the bridge at some point. You're going to laugh about them at some point. And just to remember to keep things keep things in perspective. And if you keep an open mind and you keep your eyes open to opportunities, you will have an interesting life. Yes, love it. Great. So I can just imagine the different things that you have experienced in all the different types of practices and all the different states and large animal, small animal, mixed practice. 
ER specialty GP, like all the different things that you've experienced. So protect, you know, the innocence there and change the names. But tell me about a time where you were in a situation and you thought, no way. Oh my gosh. Palm to the forehead and your eyes pop out and you say, no way. I can't make this shit up. Like this totally just happened. Honestly, I can't think of something that is that exaggerated. Like the things that come to mind when you say that are the times where I embarrassed myself. <laughs> Those are great times, I tell you. <laughs> you look I, back and laugh. This was funny. I was like just out of vet school. I was at that that internship. And I don't know, it was within the first week or two that I was practicing. And, you know, you're trying to like have this confidence when you go into the room and, you know, you're trying not to have people, you know, kind of eye roll you because they can tell you're new and, and so I go in and I had, I just powered down a lunch and I was on, I was on my emergency rotation. I go in to talk to this customer and I'm like talking to them and I'm acting all confident, but inside I'm like feeling a little squirrely and I'm probably talking too much and I'm taking my history and I go down to do the, I mean, and this took a while I was asking her questions and she was answering my questions and we're going back and forth. And then I, I reached down put the stethoscope thing in ears and my earbuds and my ears. And I reach down to listen to the heart and I hear this loud, like thud on the table and I feel something wet on my chin. And I looked out and there's a giant piece of lettuce with salad dressing on it. It was stuck to my chin. Oh no. Like I asked, I went through a whole history. She answered questions. Oh my God. She never, she never said anything. And I'm trying so hard. And we both looked down and we just started crying. Like we were, we couldn't catch our breath. We were both of us dying laughing. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? Right. Why would you tell me that? Well, because she recognized like how awkward I was. She was like, I could tell that you were trying so like so hard. I didn't want to crush your spirit. I didn't want to crush your spirit, basically. So, you know, that was a funny time. Oh, that's great. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I did a spay on a bull mastiff who had had multiple litters. Everything seemed to go well. I went in to check on the dog. White as a sheet. She and I got this dog into my little hatchback Ford Focus. I raced as fast as I could to the nearest ER where they had blood. We got the dog on the table. The, I didn't do the surgery. The other surgeon was there. She didn't say anything to me. I am dying inside, dying, dying, dying. And I am thinking, I don't deserve to be a vet. I shouldn't be a vet. It was basically some ligatures that had loosened. She gets the pet stable. She looks up at me and she says, if someone says to you, this has never happened to me, they're either lying or they haven't been practicing long enough. 
I went out to the car, I broke down crying, and I thought to myself, oh my God, I can't be a vet anymore. Tell me about your proudest moment. I was in with my first splenectomy, dealing with that. I had an Addisonian crisis come in, and I directed to the technicians how to deal with that Addisonian crisis. And I saved both those dogs that day. (laughs) Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? I love the relationship between animals and people. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? I play with my dogs. I go walking, sometimes running, and I love to travel. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? If you ever hear me talking about work-life balance and how I have it figured out, you're more than welcome to call bullshit on me. (laughs) (laughs) because I do not have that figured out at all. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business or the profession as a whole? I'm a natural born people pleaser. I'm always worried about making everyone happy. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Having a purpose. Excited that I am in the veterinary profession And it really does give me a sense of purpose. What color best describes you and why? Maybe yellow. Yellow is a a sunny, happy color. And I always strive to have that effect on people if I can. And if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I would probably be a dolphin because it looks fun. They look like they have a bunch of friends and they hang out together. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Cindy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for having me. Dr. Cindy, if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you and find out more about Relief Rover or about you, how can we reach you? How can we find you? So Relief Rover, you can go to ReliefRover.com. You can also reach out to me. I'm an open book. I'm happy to talk to anyone. Cindy Trice DVM at ReliefRover.com. And if you want to check out Kick It Pajamas, kickitpajamas.com. Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you again. Have a great weekend. Thank you. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you. Good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current and do not represent 
the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.